What a cool thing, right? That we can invade the community with the love of Jesus. I love it. What a great idea. I'm super proud of our family ministries, uh, the youth ministry, the children's ministry, and Pastor Nathan's oversight in that. God's doing some really cool things. I'm looking forward uh, to being able to join in and see what God does. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be exalted and lifted up. And Lord, as we talk about uh, a very heavy matter today, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And as we think through the ramifications of some of these difficult things, we ask, Lord, that uh, you would convict our souls in areas that we need conviction. If there's sin, Lord, would you address that sin in our lives? Would you speak to us in those places, Lord, that we would, by the power of your resurrection, uh, we would ask that you would invade those dark corners of our hearts and soul? Lord, in those areas where we're hypocrites, where we say one thing and do another thing, I, I pray, Lord, that you would convict us and that there would be real repentance and that that repentance would be the transformation type of repentance, Lord, where we don't turn back to those ways. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted here. We think of your word in Isaiah, where you remind your people that you are the Lord. That is your name, and your glory you will not share with another. And so today, Lord, as we come together, we ask that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Oh, you're going to pay for that one. I remember hearing that in sixth grade after, and this is probably going to surprise you. I made a snide comment in class. And that, that didn't surprise you as much as I hoped. Uh, I made this comment that suddenly the class fell silent, and my buddy sitting next to me said, oh, you're going to pay for that one. And he was right. Uh, I missed lunch. Well, I mean, I ate lunch, but I missed going out and, and playing on the playground with my friends as I sat inside and thought about my actions and reconsidered what I had said in the way that I had said it. Another time, I was playing catch with my brother in the backyard throw him back and forth, and I overthrow him. What I believed still to this day was a catchable ball that he let go, broke the window in our kitchen. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you're going to pay for that one. And he was right. And it cost me an entire Saturday of working with my dad and going to the store and getting what we needed and fixing that broken window. And what do we mean by this? You're going to pay for that one. We mean that there is an action that was done that comes at a great price, perhaps a price beyond what we are willing, able, or intended to pay. You're going to pay for that one. Even just the idea, the thought of it, perhaps even in your own mind, you're starting to think that through and go away. I can think of times in my life that that's happened. A little different illustration, but the same thing. I'm going to pay for that one. A word that was misspoken, an action that wasn't measured. I know you're going to pay for that one. And the anxiety, perhaps, is even building up in you as you're considering the reality of those moments, the embarrassment of those moments. 
It's interesting, I was reading a, uh, an article recently that said that the generation that is about to graduate high school and go into the workforce, uh, it is somewhere around 70% that are dealing with clinical anxiety. 70%. Where they're saying things like, we live in this world where there, there are great prices that need to be paid. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are injustices. And everybody's voice is equal. Everyone, everyone is just as valid with their opinions. And they're all screaming at once. And the anxiety is building up in those places. And there is a cry out for just rest. And maybe that's your heart today too. Just some rest how do we get this price paid? Uh, how is this ever going to be okay again? What, what will that look like? And so as we began to talk through this months ago, we came to the passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus is talking. And in some ways, a similar situation, different but similar in terms of principle, anxiety that is so thick you can cut it in the air. A group of Romans are now overseeing, so Gentiles are overseeing this Jewish nation, making sure that people don't get out of hand. And at least according to history, there were some abuses that took place and some humiliations that took place from Rome to Israel. And so walking on eggshells on one hand and on the other hand, crying out to a God who they're saying, God, why don't you hear me? Why are, why are things not different? And Jesus makes this statement. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We shared this a few weeks ago that that idea of a yoke was the idea of a teaching. So it really meant the teaching of the Torah. And the reason that that's so significant is because in those days, especially, people were, God, we want to honor you and I want to make sure that the things that I do and the things that I say and the intention of my heart is pleasing to you. And so their actions wanted to, to follow that, and they would, they would get so regimented that they became, in many ways, legalistic towards their walk with God. And it wasn't from the overflow of the heart, but rather rules and regulations. And this burden was heavy on them. It was a yoke that they carried that was weighted. Am I doing things the right way at the right time? This rabbi says this. This rabbi says that. Uh, in my synagogue, we teach this. And what pleases God? In the midst of a Roman empire that is coming down on this Jewish nation. And perhaps, in some ways, you feel similarly. Things that are outside of your control. 
on the one hand and on the other hand saying, God, I just, I want to please you, but what, what will it take? Should I be fasting more? Will that please you? Should I walk a perfect, sinless life? Is that what you expect from me? What do you want? And Jesus simply says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, as we began to look at this passage, we recognized almost immediately that we were going to have to take it up and look at it from some different angles. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt talked to you about justification. You can rest because you are innocent. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about sanctification. You can rest because you are growing, growing in the Lord. We have purpose. We can rest in that purpose. Next week, Pastor Matt's going to talk about glorification. You can rest because of your heavenly inheritance. There is a destination that we are going to. Today, we're going to talk about you can rest because your price is paid. It's called the atonement. And I, I want to tell you right now, uh, this is not an apology, but this is the reality. It's an explanation of what is about to happen. This is heavy, and it is very technical, it's heavy and it's technical as we talk about atonement in, in the moments to come. I recognize that. Hang in there with me. We're going somewhere. We're going to see the, the weight of sin and the relief of Christ. And I'll say it another way, how Christ fulfills all in all. He is everything, not just in theological terms, but in real terms. He's everything. And then we're going to come together uh, on Easter Sunday, and we're going to talk about adoption. You can rest because you're in the family. You're in the family. We're excited about this. Uh, we're looking forward to it. And another thing that's going to happen on Easter are baptisms. Uh, we're excited about that for many reasons, but one of those is that we see this as just this wonderful picture of rest, that we have been cleansed, that Jesus did the work. We've been cleansed from sin and death. And we are alive in Christ. We can rest in him. Our life is dedicated with purpose to him. We love that picture. And I hope if, if you are in a place where you're saying, you know what? My next step of faith is baptism. I hope you sign up for that. Uh, I hope you're willing to, to just go online, sign up for it. We'll have a conversation beforehand to prepare you, get you ready, and on Easter we're going to have a big celebration because isn't that a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Christ and his life in us and transforming the world around us? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah, yeah, we can give the Lord a praise offering. That is, that's exciting. And so we, wanna, uh, we want to join together uh, in baptisms. So as we enter into this time and as we talk about this atonement, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. And in going back to the beginning, we remember that God created the heavens and the earth. And in his creation, it was good. Those are God's words. It was good. He looked at his creation and he loved his creation. And he identified his creation as good. It was perfect. It was that place where God and his creation could be together without division, and then Adam and Eve sinned. And in this sin, if you would be willing to think in your mind of, of this disease that came in, and this disease of sin spread, it spread. 
It affected and infected all areas of creation. That's an important piece because as we talk about atonement, we're, we're talking about God's work. The word atonement uh, was developed in English by Wycliffe. Like around the 1500s, this, this guy comes in and he's like, ah, we don't really have a word to deal with this Hebrew word. Uh, how about at one? And over the course of the next hundred years, at one came together atone. And this idea of atonement actually takes the Hebrew word and is the result of the Hebrew word. So the Hebrew word means to cleanse, to smear, or to cover. To cleanse, to smear, or to cover. It's a play on the word. We, say it, we see that lived out uh, in just a few moments as we go into the temple and tabernacle and talk about the Day of Atonement. You'll see how blood was smeared over different, uh, different furnitures uh, within, the, within the temple. And this furniture that this blood was smeared on then was, was uh, atoned for. The high priest had a very difficult job. He had a job on one hand to appease God. On the other hand, to bring the children of God to God. He was a mediator. And on the Day of Atonement is a special day that brings the two together. But a lot of preparation has to go in, into this. They become uh, one. And there is a series of blood being smeared over the furniture. There is a series of blood being poured out, covering some furniture. And not just that, but there is an action that occurs that makes us at one with God, but also in those moments, by extension, at one with one another. From the time that Adam and Eve sin they decide to cover themselves. They're going to atone for themselves. And if you remember the story, Adam and Eve uh, get fig leaves and they cover themselves with it. I don't know what your experience is with trying to create things out of limbs and leaves and vines. Mine is pretty poor. I remember, so in Indiana, we have this thing called mushroom hunting. You know, as if, you know, you really have to sneak up on mushrooms or something. I don't know. Uh, but we do mushroom hunting in Indiana. And it is the most boring thing for a teenage boy. And so we would get in the woods and my mom and dad, they'd be, you know, looking for mushrooms. And they knew all the places to go. I still have no idea how to find mushrooms because I was playing with vines. And I remember one day these vines were hanging off this tree and I thought, of Tarzan. Right? How cool would this be? So I tried to weave these together to make it stronger. I was 12, and I could really think through this. And I was, I was up on a limb, and I just, okay, here we go. I'm going to Tarzan this thing. And I jumped out uh, with my full weight on those three very small vines that I had woven together. And I just landed on my back. Thud. It did not work out real well for me. And in like manner, it did not work out well for Adam and Eve. Uh, their weaving together of this, it wasn't enough, and God steps in, and he gives them animal skin to cover themselves. He hides them. He atones for them. It's a picture of what is going to happen. 
Throughout history, God then starts to uh, uh, call all people to himself, but they don't respond in faith. Of course, we know the story of the flood with Noah, and then God calls out to a man named Abram. We just studied that a couple months ago. And how God called to Abram and this nation emerges and this nation is supposed to be a testimony for all nations that all nations could see the work of God and respond to God because of what God does in this nation of Israel uniquely. And in doing so, uh, God develops uh, some things that will help the nation of Israel know there is a Messiah And the Messiah is coming. And one of the most significant ones is the Day of Atonement. It's the Day of Atonement. And we're going to talk about that uh, just briefly. I just outlined uh, Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to talk it through as we go. I would encourage you to supplementally go back and read through Leviticus 16. And you might be thinking, that sounds super boring. It is very detailed. It is not boring. It is very detailed, though. Uh, and there are some things that you'll want to know. Again, the high priest, this is the work of the high priest as mediator, bringing people to God, God to people. Things have to happen. One of the things that has happened, though, is that sin has invaded the temple and tabernacle areas. In the first century, it's the temple. And so a cleansing needs to be done, a cleansing of the furnishings that are in the temple, starting in the Holy of Holies and then to the holy place and then to the outer courts and into the nation of Israel. This cleansing will begin. And it starts with five animals. There is a bull. There are two goats and there are two rams. And these animals are brought in before the high priest. The high priest then goes to the bull first in the preparation, and he puts his hands on the head of the bull, and he confesses his sin. And you might be thinking, why a bull? Well, the bull is, one, one of the most valuable animals of ancient Israel. It was very difficult to keep. It was hard to manage compared to some of the other animals, rams and goats specifically. It was more costly. The priest should know better. But his sins need to be atoned for. And so he would take his hands and he would confess his sins on the bull's head. And then he would go over to another part of this courtyard where the goats were. There were two goats. They were identical. These two goats are going to have one act that they do in tandem. They are going to care for. They are going to cover the sins of Israel And those sins are then going to be released out of the camp, out of the nation of Israel. So that's what these two goats are for. And so the high priest would then take a box, and in the box, he had uh, two, they were were like dice. And these dice on one of them would say, for Yahweh. The other one would say, for Azazel. This would be a wonderful series to to take weeks and weeks to go through if, if, you're, if you'd like to dig in deep on these sorts of things. We're, we're just doing kind of surface today on this, on this matter, but I would encourage you to dig in 
fascinating, fascinating series, especially when we're talking about for Yahweh and for Azazel and what that means specifically. Azazel is primarily uh, uh, translated as scapegoat. So one is going to be a sacrifice and the other one is going to be the scapegoat. Later on in this, the sins of Israel are going to be laid on the head of that goat and that goat is going to be removed from Israel. We'll get to that in just a moment. After these things are done, the sin offering for the high priest takes place where the sacrifice of the bull happens. Uh, uh, The animal is sacrificed on the altar. Blood is taken from the bull And as the blood is taken from the bull, the high priest then goes in toward the Holy of Holies, stopping at the holy place, the the inner area before he enters the holy place. Now please keep in mind that high priests died because they would flippantly go before the Lord or that they didn't take the time to do things the right way in the order that they needed to be done. So this is a very serious matter for the high priest, and the high priest does this every year. And so going in, he would then fill this altar of incense, and the altar would start to, uh, uh, would start to burn the incense, and there would be a cloud in the holy place. And that was to keep the high priest from being able to see the presence of God, because the presence of God is in the holy of holies. And so as he enters into the Holy of Holies, he takes the blood of the bull that is for his atonement, and he places it on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all watch Indiana Jones, you know the Ark of the Covenant, you know what I'm talking about, with the angels on either side, and that place in between those angels is called the mercy seat. And he would place the blood there of that bull. And then he'd go out. And the goat that was for Yahweh, he would take and have a similar type of sacrifice, only this one is for the people. And he would place that uh, again on the mercy seat. So he is covered, the people are covered in the presence of God. Continuing on, he would atone for the incense altar, taking a mixture of the remainder of the blood and start to put it on the altar uh, of incense. Again, if you're thinking in, in your mind, if you want to see the picture, think of the back of the temple being the Holy of Holies, and then the holy place, and then the outer courts, and there is a cleansing that is coming out to the people. If you can visualize that, that's, that's, the, that's the picture. This grace is flowing from the holy place out to the people. So they would atone for the altar uh, of burnt offerings. And uh, this is for the courtyard. Then the scapegoat ritual. Again, this goat is brought in. The high priest uh, puts the sins of Israel, the confession of the sins of Israel on this goat, and it is taken out. It is led out. Now, there were times that they... (laughs) And this is all that Leviticus tells them to do is just take it outside of Israel into the desert. So they would do that, but sometimes the goat would come back. That's not a good sign when the sins come back. So what they ended up doing is taking it up to a cliff 
and they would push it off so that it didn't come back. Uh, this, was, this was a part of their practice. Again, I want you to think of how intentional and how deep, like this sin was a big deal. Sin was a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Grace is a big deal to God. But it comes at a cost. And, and the nation of Israel every year has to see that, has to watch that. After this time, the high priest then goes and uh, cleanses himself. There is a laver in the courtyard, and this laver is like this big uh, brass bowl with water in it. And he would take it, he could see himself. You can imagine the amount of blood and mess that he has all over him because of these type of sacrifices. And he cleanses himself, and this laver changes his clothing uh, at this time. And then uh, he goes to the burnt offering, and that's where the two rams come in. Uh, these two rams are given again for uh, the high priest and then also for the nation of Israel. And then there's cleanup. And this cleanup time is, is, uh, is pretty significant. Um, and those carcasses then have to be removed and taken outside uh, of the camp. This is the Day of Atonement. Uh, I am highlighting something that goes very deep. Books are written on these subjects. The connection of it to Jesus is just as significant, and we often miss it. And so we're going to take some time and look at this. Jesus is our all in all. So what happened in the Old Testament? It was like, why don't we have a day of atonement? Well, because it was taken care of by Jesus. But sometimes we like to skip to the end of that. And if we skip to the end of that, we miss the significance of all of it. That grace that flows from the holy of holy, the presence of God, and meets me where I'm at came at an incredible cost because of my sin. And if, by the way, if none of you had sinned and it was just my sin, Jesus still does this. If none of us had sinned and it was just your sin, Jesus still does this. That, sin, that sacrifice is for me that flows from the mercy seat of God to us today. And we sometimes like to skip to the end. But there's some unpleasantness that we have to address. The Day of Atonement was a yearly picture of this. The cross is a reminder of this. Jesus is identified, first of all, as the perfect high priest. He's the perfect high priest. Look at this in Hebrews 7, verse 26 and 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Keep that in mind. Jesus, why doesn't Jesus have to make sacrifices? Well, he is the sacrifice. His life is perfect. It is taken care of once and for all. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Not just that, but Jesus' sacrifice ransoms us and cleanses us. So let's, let's be reminded of that. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? If you only knew what I've done. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I certainly have heard that. Could God really forgive this? 
And sometimes, oh, those stories are heartbreaking. Sometimes it's uh, someone who has been hurt and abused who then, in their, in their own brokenness, hurt and abused others. Oh, can God forgive that? Yeah, God's bigger than that. God's bigger than that. And so I want to tell you, whatever you've come from, whatever you've been a part of, whatever you've been engaged in, Jesus is bigger. There is victory because Jesus has ransomed that and Jesus cleanses from that. There is no sin that is bigger than him. Not even a group of sins. Not even all of our sins. Not even all of the world's sins, current, past, and future. Jesus is bigger. And his sacrifice is greater. And so receive that as we talk about these passages. First of all, from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, you're going to pay for that one. That sin. Oh, you're going to pay for that. Yeah, you will. Unless you allow Jesus. Jesus ransoms it. I will pay for that. I got that. I take care of that. That's why I went to the cross. That's why you don't have to go to the cross. That's mine. And then if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That Jesus, because of his sacrifice, is able to cleanse us. But Kenny, you don't know. You don't know what I did. Don't have to, because I know what Jesus did. And if we confess those sins, he cleanses us. We can walk at one with God and one another because of his, his, Jesus' work. That's an important piece. It's significant, and we can't walk by it. In just a little bit, we'll have communion. During communion, one of the pieces is that we pause before the Lord and ask, is there any unconfessed sin that I need to address in my own heart? Lord, uh, reveal it to me, and as the Lord reveals that, we confess it. Why? Because we like to dwell on the past? No, but because we like to get rid of the sins of the past. Let's put it at the altar. Let's lay it, let's lay it on, uh, uh, on the bull, and let's let that sacrifice be once and for all and complete. Jesus is our scapegoat. Remember that the sins, not just of Israel, but of all people, are laid on Jesus as he goes to the cross. And we see this in a few places. One of the places it's prophesied about. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, this is referring to the Messiah to come, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Lord has allowed the Savior, Jesus, to be the scapegoat to take our sins away out of the camp, out of the area, is gone as far as the east is from the west. It was another significance of the goat for Azazel, that these sins, as they were carried out, it was a reminder that as far as the east is from the west, so God remembers our sins no more. And that is certainly true. All of those awful things that we've been a part of, those dark places of our heart, those type of things that we wouldn't even share with those people who know us best, those sins are placed on Jesus and he takes them away. As far as the east is from the west, Jesus paid it.
And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, we don't need a temple with animal sacrifices because Jesus has taken it. And as far as the east is from the west, the Father remembers our sins no more. It is cleansed, it is cared for, it is taken care of. And finally, Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate expression of the Lord's love. If you, were, if you had that picture in your mind of the Holy of Holies and the atonement that took place in the Holy of Holies, the, the smearing of the blood on the mercy seat, the cleansing that happened in the holy place, the cleansing that happened in the outer courts, and that those sins were then carried off. Think of that grace as flooding. Just like in the garden, sin became a disease that spread over the world, we see that there is this healing that comes from the throne of God out into the world for all who trust him and believe. Why? Because God loves And because God is pouring out that love, that expression of love, one of our responses to that love is to receive it. We see this in a few places. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. just as heavy and as weighted as those five animals are on the Day of Atonement, even more so is the sacrifice of Jesus That God came in the flesh for our sins. That he was willing to take my sin up on the cross. We see it in John 3.16, that popular verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. And I want to take you to one other passage. It's found in John chapter 20. In this passage we see something amazing. We, we see Jesus fulfilling what we've been talking about completely. Let me show it to you. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. Now listen to this. Here's the clue. One at the head and one at the feet. On the left is the Ark of the Covenant. On the right is a a, uh, mock-up of a first century tomb, very similar to the one that Jesus would have been put in. On the one end was where an angel sat, and on the other end is where an angel sat. Why did John tell us that? Except for to remind us of this mercy seat of God. You can imagine Jesus laying there with all of the wounds that he had and his own blood being on that mercy seat right there that flows out of the tomb and into the garden and into the world and into the hearts of all who would call on Jesus. We were created to glorify God. Though you and I fell, Short of this purpose, God loved us so much that he paid the price. We can find rest. And that rest is soul deep. You may be dealing with some anxieties and some hurts, some worries that are infesting and plaguing you. 
but there is rest for our souls in Christ. And it came at an amazing price, at a great price. Uh, we see it, obviously, in, the, in baptism, this cleansing <laughs> that happens to our souls. The work of Christ, we are dead to sin and death and alive in Christ. We see that picture in baptism. We also see a part of this atonement played out in communion. And as the worship team comes, I, I just want to talk about this and prepare us for communion today. Communion is a time where we remember what the Lord has done, that his body was broken for us, just like we've shared here today. That his life was laid out. An atonement, that we would be made one with God. And being made one with God, we're also made one with one another. There is unity. And that that is supposed to flow as it flows from the throne of God, or, or rather the mercy seat of God, as it flows out into the world, there's a transformation that occurs and rests for our souls. That rest knowing that all of the work is done. That the price has been paid. Because it was greater, and it was a price that was greater than any of us could pay. There is a body that was broken and blood that was shed. And Jesus reminds his disciples to participate. That this is a sort of calibration for the believer's soul. One, participating. You know, you are what you eat is the idea. And the early church really embraced that to the point that the community didn't completely understand what they were saying when they said they ate of the body. They got life from the body of Christ. It was a little odd to the community outside, and they would ask questions, and they're like, yeah, you won't get it because your eyes need to spiritually be open to get it. Additionally, the early church would ask non-followers, non-disciples, they would dismiss them before this time. They said this mystery is an amazing mystery and is really only for the believer, those who are followers of Jesus, to participate in. It's a big deal. Because it's a big deal what God did for us. And so it was important that they paused before the Lord. And they confessed any sin that needed to be addressed. As if they were laying it on Jesus, the scapegoat, to take away. That they could receive his sacrifice. And live a life. You are what you eat. They live that life of Christ out. At Friendship, we have four stations. And we encourage you to pause before the Lord. And one asks the question, am I a follower of Jesus? And if you are, go to the next question, is there any unconfessed sin? And if there is, to confess that sin. And then you're free to uh, go to the station. We encourage you to go to the carpeted areas and around to the station that's nearest you and then return to your seat on the outer walls and wait for all of us to participate uh, or to get it and then we'll participate together and I'll lead us in that time. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We recognize our incredible need for you today, Lord, and we are thankful for the sacrifice. And Lord, I, I recognize that we're, we're talking about some technical things today, and, and so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help it to connect to our hearts, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, and that today as we participate with you, it wouldn't just be a symbolic act of eating bread and drinking from the cup but rather it, it would be a spiritual act of living a life that is given to us by you and empowered by you for your glory. 
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.